Hi, and welcome to What's Best for Kids, the podcast that digs deep into what educators wish parents knew about education and what parents wish educators knew about parenting. I'm your host, Rob Copo. I'm the parent of two kids who went to public school, and I've been in public education for more than 25 years as a teacher, a coach, and administrator. I'm currently the principal of Torrey Pines High School in San Diego, California, and every day I ask myself, what's best for kids? Today's show is part two of my conversation about the realities of high school athletics, what's working, what needs fixing, and what does the future look like? With me again is Charlene Falsa-Stevens, the athletic director for Torrey Pines High School. Hi, Charlene. Welcome back to part two of the athletics uh, version of this podcast. I appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me again. Uh, so when we left off last time, we were talking about the pressure of uh, college acceptance and D1 scholarships and kind of the, uh, as I said, the the joke that's not really a joke about, hey, you better get a D1 scholarship or we won't get and we won't be able to afford college. And that puts a lot of pressure on whether students make teams, uh, for example. And we've experienced that here a lot at Tory. We have a whole protocol for it and have to follow up frequently because there is a lot of attention on that. And, and uh, so at a school like ours, rosters and playing time are always an issue. What do you wish parents and players understood about this process? I want to make sure that all parents recognize or realize that their child is being given a fair shot. Oftentimes, I think that um, tryouts are one day, two days, three days, depending on depending on the sport. Um, but when it comes to your team sports, obviously um, there is some subjectivity in there's some subject, subjectivity to creating a team, but everybody's given an objective, fair shot at making that team. Last year, last year was insane coming off of COVID. Yeah. And a um, perfect example will be our boys' soccer program. Our boys' soccer program, there were 170 athletes trying out for 75 spots. You know, it's 25 per level, varsity, JV, and freshman. And if you're not familiar with soccer, a 25-player uh, roster is huge. You can only have 11 on the field at one time. So 25 is, is bigger than most soccer teams would keep. Yeah, and thanks for that explanation. And, you know, you had, to, you had all of these coaches trying to figure out of the 170, you know, how many – how many of that 170 will make the freshman team? Right. How many will make the JV team? And how many will make the varsity team? Trying to trying to cut down on those on that process is you're looking at something specific. You know, you're looking at what were the players the var at the varsity level, what were the players looking like as you know, that are returning, and then what holes still need to be filled to make that team complete. Um, in the end, I think our varsity, our, our coaches did a pretty good job with our varsity team last year because we ended up winning, you know, a state title in boys soccer. But you now making those, making those teams and, you know, being that best player on that club program mm -hmm. doesn't always translate to, making your high school soccer team. 
And I think that's where a lot of the uh, understandable stress and confusion come from players because, or from parents, I should say, is, you know, I, I coach soccer. I've also watched my kids play regularly. And you said our little league was a, was a big one. You focus on your kid and you look at what they can do. And we don't always like to admit it, but we compare him to every other kid out there and say, well, he's better than Tommy and he's better than Billy. So why isn't he getting this, that, and the other thing? And it's, it's hard to have that objectivity uh, about our own kid. And then suddenly, to your point, they're in with 170 other players and four or five, maybe six coaches are trying to separate that down and cull that down into a 25 person roster, knowing there's going to be blowback and kids can have a bad day at tryouts. Uh, and then it just starts to spin and it's like, well, so-and-so, you know, he played for that coach as the club coach. So that's why he made the team over somebody else. And all of those conspiracy theories start, uh, to hit. And I remember meeting with just a lot of parents years ago and say, do you really think that the coaches don't want the best possible team on the field? You know, it's, it's, that, that's exactly it. You know, it. It helps when, like, for example, with volleyball, they give every athlete a number and they also have, um, they, they bring in a coach, an outside coach to observe tryouts and take a look at those players and determine, help determine, is that, you know, what's the right combination? What's... what. Is that person playing that right position? Do we have enough athletes that fill that position versus another position? Can that athlete be taught to play more than one position? Um, those are all things that coaches have to look at. Right. You know? And the athlete forgets that, you know, you may be vying, you may be vying for a specific position. And there's six other people going for that exact same position. Yeah. And is are any of those athletes willing to try a different position because that will improve their chances? And even be vocal about that with the coach. What can I do to make this team? If I switch my position, will that give me a better shot? Typically, the answer is yes. Hope Solo is one of the most famous in that. She was a forward. And then ends up being one of the greatest keepers in women's soccer history. You know, uh, being a good athlete is being a good athlete. And so that uh, whether you get super focused on one position or not, I think also uh, throws people off a little bit. He's, you know, I, I used to get that as a, as a coach all the time was, well, he's always been a forward. Why are you using him at the midfield? I'm like, because I got 15 forwards. So uh, we're going to have to mix this up. Or uh, my favorite was, you know, when people don't understand soccer, it's like, he's always been a forward. Why do you have him at defense? Because he's my fastest kid. I, I can I can score goals without all the speed up front. But if I keep giving up goals, I got a problem. Like, And I, I didn't want to have to explain that. But that lack of trust for the coach, because they have a limited experience there. And, um, but this is also, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and, and say that it's a, perfect science. You know, our mistakes made with rosters all, all the time. time, all the time. And going back to the grit, that's part of the lesson too. Uh, I'll never forget my son, not 
uh, getting all-stars when he was the, he had been voted the MVP on his little league team, but then didn't make all-stars. And he, it was a great moment. He looked at, he goes, can I, I had to tell him it was the first day of summer. And I'll never forget waking up first day of summer. By the way, all your buddies are going to be playing uh, all-stars this summer and you're not. And he goes, can I see the roster? And I said, sure. He was online. So we walk over, he turned around and he goes, oh, I get it now. Never mind. And I, and he, in that moment, and then he switched to tennis <laughs> right after that. It was amazing. Um, and, but it was such a great life lesson, but we, we missed that. We're so focused again on that brass ring. We got to get the D one scholarship that if we aren't on the roster and we don't have enough playing time, it's never going to work out. And I always equate it with, you know, grades. Well, they have to have straight A's or they'll never get into college. Well, no, 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 no. They have to earn straight A's to see what they want to do. And if they don't get straight A's, that might mean a different college. And that's the way this works. I know. I know. There's that's... a cart and there's a horse and they're in the wrong order, folks. It's, there is no order. There is no order. Ultimately, you know, it, it, it depends on the, it depends on, you want the child, you want, the, you want the child to be the best that they can be. But, you know, we have to we have to be able to understand that their best and our best are not the same so well said thank you for sharing that exactly so, we have scripted their best we've decided what the best is and then are trying to make sure they get there rather than finding out what their best is and then that's why they fight us right and that's why they're stressed and that's why they turn to social media because they're going to get the hit of dopamine of, of, you know, love and adoration from all the likes because they're not getting it someplace else. We have to be very careful with that script um, that we've already written for them when they were in the womb. <laughs> so that gets us to uh, let's jump into the lovely topic of specialization and the conundrum that it is because it, it you know, is logical that if you do more of something, you will get better at it. But there is a line that uh, I think gets crossed sometimes where we do too much of it. One of the things I've noticed over the years are uh, repetitive motion injuries. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen a player out there who they get to their senior year and they're having surgery and don't get to enjoy their senior year because all they've done is lacrosse. The world, the world like I said, is a very different place. and. I don't remember anyone in high school having an ACL surgery. Right. I don't right. even recall one person in my entire athletic career in high school and college having an an ACL tear. Right. And I started girl soccer season last year where eight girls were already had already had an ACL tear prior to the start of the season. It's unreal. Yeah, you know, it's when you're playing the same sport over and over and over again, you don't develop the muscle structure. You don't develop all the other muscles. You know, that was the beauty of having multiple sports, being being able to be in multiple sports was your Building that for swimming, well, being a swimmer, that's a great thing for ever, for all sports. But going from basketball to going to track, 
I learned a lot about a lot of lateral movement. Mm -hmm. Then I moved over to track and everything's now straight. I didn't have as, I had fewer injuries because of it. Now it, it, I never overused anything and I could bounce from sport to sport to sport with no problem. Our kids don't bounce from sport to sport. They stay, they're in soccer season. And then when they're finished with high school, they go to soccer and then they go to summer and they're still playing soccer. It's the same sport year round. And then you wonder why they burn out. Yeah, we, we, there's no mystery to why uh, they burn out. Uh, You can't, I mean, I love soccer. I loved coaching it. I love playing it. Um, But, you know, when it's football season, I'm all about football. I got to take a break from soccer. You know, I also love golf, but it's not what I want to do all day, every day. Um, Because that's a very frustrating sport, so that would be brutal. But, um, I mean, when I was coaching club soccer, I'll never forget, um, I was at dinner one night with my coaches uh, during a tournament. And I had offered to give one of the players a ride home. And so she was having dinner with us and the parent came to pick her up and um, started talking to me about what we were doing after the season, where we're doing an indoor season. And I said, you know, it's been a pretty busy time for me. I was uh, going through a divorce at the time. And I said, so, you know, this has been a busy season. I think, I don't think we're going to do an indoor season right away. And the parent looked at me and said, I can't believe you're going to let your divorce get in the way of my player's development in soccer. Oh, my gosh. And I just sort of stopped. And one of my assistant coaches I thought was going to go through the roof. Um, And I just went, I understand your concerns, but I think the girls need a break. I think it's important for them to take some time off and do other things so that they can come back to soccer stronger. They were 12 at the time. 12. And I knew it was coming. I, I told the team in advance, I go, guys, you're, everyone's going to start worrying about angling for the right high school. And sure enough, the next year, that's exactly what happened. And we lost kids to other clubs because they were worried about playing for the right coach. And it, uh, one of the best players on that team who took the advice even got started playing water polo in high school after all of the soccer pressure, switched to water polo. I'm like, good for you. <laughs> Partly because of all the pressure. Yeah. Exactly. And And it's just too much of one thing. Or found another group of friends Mm -hmm. and found another sport. Um, And that's okay. Yeah. I've had lots of conversations with parents um, whose child all of a sudden, as a freshman, tried a new sport, very different from their previous sports, tried something new and absolutely loved it. You know, it's, you get to reinvent yourself in high school. Um, I spent 10 years coaching both of, uh, both of my kids for 10 years in soccer. What do they play in high school? <laughs> Tennis. <laughs> okay. My, my kids ran track. They, they were surrounded by track. Yeah, so you're a terrible example. It was horrible. I'm sorry. It was horrible. <laughs> but, and my kids went to every track meet, every cross country meet for their entire life. And ironically, both of them are runners. Well, that, that's one that, of the greatest gifts you can give your kids. If you can get them to run, that's something you'll have the rest of your life. They love it. Yeah. And that's really all that matters to me, that they love doing the sport that they love. Exactly. You got to do it for fun. And if you're not doing it for fun, if you're doing it for something else, you're not going to be as good as you possibly can be at it. But it was it was nice. I mean, yeah, my kids were surrounded by track their entire and cross country their entire life, but they didn't start running until high school. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because of that, I think it was for them, it was new because now they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for a lot of our athletic swimmers, swimmers are a perfect example. They start club swimming at age five, six, seven years old. So by the time they reach high school, they're either like so good that they have to stay in it, right? right. Or they're burnt out and tired of going to practice, you know, doing two a days and they switch to water polo. It's in the pool, <laughs> but it's a brand new sport. Yeah. And all of a sudden, oh, I like the team aspect of water polo versus the individual swimming back and forth in a lane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think uh, going back to your 13 activities, that had to help you dramatically. Oh, yeah. Because you oh. get a very different perspective. Very, I mean. The opposite of specialization. <laughs> it was, you know, too many different activities. How do you pick from 13? Yep. You know, I I thank my mother for it. Um, I'm, she wanted to make sure I was well-rounded. She did a great job with that. She did a great job. She did a great yes. job with that. And, you know, I... Could be in any sport, but I could be in any sport, team or individual. I knew what, that how much practice, how important practice is. Yeah. You know, a perfect practice makes a perfect game. Having perfect practice is very hard. And it having, and, and it was nice to be able to turn my mind off on one, um, one item, subject, whatever, to and turn it on to something else because I got tired. I burnt out of it. I needed something. Yeah. I needed something else. Yeah. The day, 13 to 13, 13, 13 different events. I don't even know how I f- was able to fit that in, but maybe that's why I'm really good at, you know, looking at schedules and balancing everything. <laughs> yeah. And if- the listeners ever saw the athletic supervision calendar at Tory Pines High School and make your teeth itch. Because um, burnout is so real. I think if you take nothing away from, uh, nothing else away from this conversation about specialization, it is that burnout piece. Because it, it, it was even true when I was in theater. I burned out junior year because I had done too many plays and too many late nights and too much, you know, onstage drama and offstage drama and all that. And so I had to take a break from it and get away from it at, at the school level. And I was very driven and I wanted, really wanted to do this. And I wanted to be in theater and film and do all these things. But I found myself even burning out at that. And that's not anywhere near what our student athletes are doing now when I see them out on the practice field and what's going on year round. I do. That's probably the one benefit to school starting later is that our athletes, I think, are actually getting more sleep now they're getting they're home late no matter what they get home from their activities late now it's even later unless we've had to move their practice to the morning because of the lack of lights and it hasn't it actually hasn't really well that's not true actually we haven't gotten to winter season i was gonna say football (laughs) already has moved or has moved one practice early this is our first year so we'll see what happens and it's been actually I think it's been beneficial for them. I hope so. We'll see the long-term effects. I'm I'm very skeptical about the the change. I'm I'm not sure it's going to have the impact 
I'm worried it's going to have the reverse impact on our athletes, but we'll see. Oh, I think in the in the winter it's going to be hard. Yeah, it's going to be very very difficult in the winter because we lost an hour of daylight. Yeah. All right, so now we're going to talk about everybody's favorite topic: fan conduct. My favorite. I will <laughs> conversation. Yes, I will never ever in my life forget the very first football game after the pandemic and it was before school even started remember that we had a game mm-hmm. the week before and the stadium was absolutely packed and that was one of the most stressful sweaty nights of my life watching well-meaning kids they they weren't trying to be agents of chaos but there was all this pent-up energy and emotion and just throwing things and jumping on each other. So I've never screamed at kids more and watching parents dodge. And, and, and it was uh, such a, an example of what is going on with fan conduct. I think we lost two years of socialization for everybody. Yeah. But this was happening before. It was happening before. It 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 came out with a vengeance and we came back. But fan conduct's been an issue. Always. Oh, oh, always. A growing issue for a while. You know, it's whether it's parents or athletes from other sports, um, learning to control their emotion. Now, that's that's always been a challenge. It's always been a challenge. yeah, How do you think we rein it in? What do we do? Well, the last, this last year, that was painful to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, it was painful. It was painful to watch um, coming to games and community members commenting on why is the behavior so poor, mm-hmm. not on the field, but in the stands. Yeah. Why is everybody so rude? Why why is why doesn't anybody have any patience? And they forgot I think that a lot of it they for, they don't have any perspective. Hmm. Um What do you mean? So we've come to games and there's a certain expectation. And that expectation is already has been laid out. But these kids didn't they didn't, see, the they didn't have the foundation. Yeah. But they didn't have any foundation. Our kids didn't have any foundation. Our parents had foundation, but they seem to have forgotten it. Um and but they, I, I will counter with our student section at basketball games before the pandemic was also a handful. Yeah. You know, I have to stand <laughs> in front of them so I can hear everything they chant. And turn around and say, no, we're not going to say that. And they look at me like I'm crazy. Like, we're allowed to do this. No, you're not. That's not how this is supposed to work. Let's cheer for our team. There are very clear CIF guidelines on this. You can cheer for your team. You cannot tear down the other for a reason. That comes with leadership, though. Yeah. Your student leaders determine how your, your student section will behave. Um, if your student leaders aren't strong and can't get that occasional knucklehead to stop, we're going to, you know, yeah. you now have a mob mentality. 
I, I have my own theory. I agree with you uh, 100%, but my own theory too is that we've seen increasing focus on student sections at the college level. I've noticed there's a lot of emulation of whatever the next level would be. And I saw this at our last football game when a new student section cropped up and it was all middle school kids. So we're managing the main student section. And those kids were doing a really, really good job. This year so far, it's so far, has been pretty good. Yes. Knock on wood. Um, well, I guess that's a laminate desk. It doesn't really count. But um, but then also I noticed up there like bottles flying up in the uh, in the stand. So uh, Tracy, one of the other APs goes up with me and we're standing with this middle school section. It was a new student section. They were emulating everything the, uh, main student section was doing, but just doing it worse. So last year's, so last year's, <laughs> last year's group. So I felt like it was like when our kids were trying to emulate what San Diego State's the show is doing, only they're not doing it as creatively. And I've seen it sort of escalate then also to get that social media hit. I do think that that's the X factor here, that if they can get a recording of themselves doing something and post it and be a part of it, you're, it, you, you get, just, you get all the likes, you get all the, mm -hmm. the, the quote unquote positive feedback. Right. <laughs> you keep turning up the volume on it to see how far we can push it. Oh, we've gone too far. Oops. Okay. And then we back off a little bit, but I think that element has definitely sort of uh, poured some gasoline on that fire that was already smoldering. Well, if you took a look at what SoCal Soccer mm -hmm. has put out and, and put out their expectations now. They're talking serious suspensions for fan conduct now. Yes. For double forfeits of games. There, there's, there mean, are really I mean, intense stuff. You're, you're looking at it. If you have poor sportsmanship as a fan, you could be – you know, you, you may be banned for three games or more. Yeah. It's, it, it takes it to a whole nother level, but because the behavior has been so poor, the organization feels that they have to, we have no choice. Know, the question will be is how will that be monitored and how will that be, how, how will that be monitored and will there be follow through? And then the, as I like to say, a lot of, a lot of times, uh, accountability is optional these days. Will there just be pushback? And immediately somebody says, well, I didn't really do that. That wasn't me. Or the other side was doing it just as much. And then we're all embroiled in this back and forth and it never ends and nobody's ever held accountable. So it just keeps perpetuating. And ultimately that's going to be the biggest thing. Like there's, there's this belief that there are no consequences. Right. So you can just behave however you want to behave and there will be no consequences for that behavior. Um, last year was it had its own challenges. Like, you know, it. Yeah. Last year's a little different. Seeing it come year. back this year was surprising to me because we did do a decent job training. They had to be retrained. And we're going to. And it's goes back to student leaders and um, those student leaders training the current student body. You know, the stronger the leader. You know, and the stronger leader and the fact that that leader has a positive influence on the fans makes a difference. Yeah. I'm thinking of like when we had Scotty, uh, it was Scotty and you know, well-liked kid. Yeah, that's Scotty. You just got to call out on the podcast. <laughs> Great kid. Um, but he had such presence. Mm-hmm. You know, in leading the fan group, that the 
we still had issues. It wasn't that we didn't have issues, but they were issues that were controllable. Yeah, and and I I agree. But having watched a couple since Scotty struggle uh, and really look at me, Copo, I need your help. And I mean, obviously, it's it's a team effort. So my admin team's got to be out there. We've got to be connecting with kids and interacting with them. And and if somebody truly needs to be kicked out of a game, which we've done at some basketball games, we've had to like I hate doing it because I want them to be able to be there and enjoy it. But we have to sometimes make an example and say that's not acceptable. You're out. Um, and then we get the inevitable pushback and the angry emails later, but that's fine. That's our job. Um, but I think between us, the student section leaders and parents, I think need to help us out a little bit too and say, Hey, look, you've got, we have a, a powder keg in a gym. You've got to understand the volatility of that, uh, situation. And so if site security and site admin are saying, don't do something, don't do that because we have contacts. Somebody else may not. Well, it, it does go back to having that parent conversation of prepping their child mm-hmm. before, you know, parents just drop their children off. Well, that's, that's right. A, they, yes. they drop their children off and, and it becomes our responsibility to, you know, parent them, you know, at, which at is not something you would do at, at the mall necessarily. You wouldn't drop them off at the mall or you wouldn't drop them off downtown San Diego, but in a stadium full of four to 5,000 people in a, you know, an environment with limited security. I mean, we still have a, a lot of people there, but. Um, you know, it, I'm just thinking of the incident that I just had to deal with a couple weekends ago and the behavior of students in, you know, in, in a, in an eatery. Right. And it mimicking what's happening at schools. Now, at some point, the parents have to step in. Yeah, and and my or point is, we all need to work together. Yeah, or adults to, to have in. some accepted norms for these events so we can all enjoy them. And as an example, you and I worked a football game this Saturday because there's a shortage of refs, and we've been saying this for years. I remember talking to, you know, I've had to escort a number of refs from the field to their cars while people are screaming at them, and I make a point of uh, thanking refs after games and all that. And we're now seeing the, as you said earlier, the dividends of our investment, our investment in vitriol has led to no refs. We don't have refs. We can't have the games. So all of this stress and heat we've put on these D1 scholarships, if no one can officiate the games, we're not going to have them. So we've got to find a way to pull this back a little bit, let the kids play, let it be about the game and keep us out of it. Uh, otherwise, we're going to lose this incredible opportunity for these students because there's going to be no one left to, uh, left to officiate. Every official, if there's any official out there listening to this, thank you for what you do. I don't know why you do it, but I'm glad you do because we need you. We appreciate you. And I'm sorry you have to put up with this. And we're trying to do everything we can to help and support and protect you because you guys are heroes out there because that is a, an absolutely thankless job. Being an official, um, I, I've officiated both swimming and track, and I absolutely love officiating because it helps. It helps. I, I it's me giving back. Yeah, it's me giving yeah. back to those athletes and helping, giving them a the best experience they can possibly have in a competition. 
you know, making it as fair as possible. When parents and coaches get mean. And players sometimes. But then when they get mean, it doesn't make the job as fun. We don't get paid very much to officiate. You know, it's, I want our athletes to remember that they need to give back. That's where we're going to get our officials is because our student athletes realized how much fun that they had and they love their sport and they want to give back because that's what officials do. They give back. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it will, it takes all of us. It takes the admin, the parents, the community to teach these young, to teach each other. Right. Really, it's not, it's to teach each other. It's not just the students. The students need to teach them, the parents and the community just as much. It teaches all of us to create a positive atmosphere where it's about the athletes performing in their game. Yeah, you know, to give them the best experience possible. So we've hit a bunch of topics today, and now we're going to probably hit the most difficult one. You've had a lot of experience uh, in athletics, and schools all over the country are facing multiple challenges, uh, including competition from clubs, getting students to play certain sports, all the specialization. We've got, we've got it here, decaying facilities. We're almost 50 years old, and we have some great facilities and some others that are rotting in front of us. Um, and we're having difficulty recruiting coaches, recruiting refs. What do you think the future holds for high school athletics? Where do you think we're going? Or what do you think we need to do? Well, I don't think athletics is going anywhere. I think that parent, I mean, even parents are remembering their glory days and what they remember about high school was being involved. Like I said, that goes all the yeah. way back to it's deeply to that. In it's, us. it's it's deeply ingrained. Like having a high school without athletics. Yeah, in other words, we're not going with some of the European models where it's all going to be club, and the schools are just academic. I I I agree with you. I don't see that happening. I don't so. see that happening. It it but it does mean that how invested is the district in athletics? Mm-hmm. The problem is is that. Athletics is one component of a student athlete. It's one component of a school. Yeah. yeah there's, the, you know, the primary is the classrooms, the teachers, you know, but you have athletics, you have the arts, you know, you have the clubs. How do, how do you, you know, try and support all of those groups, but it's not necessarily going to be equal. I mean, some areas cost significantly more right. money than others it'll be interesting these next these next few years we're talking about turfing fields and putting in lights and maybe potentially getting a pool that that's a that's a serious capital investment Mm -hmm. on our athletic facilities but a part of that will be because the community expects it yes and needs it you know, I because I, I think it goes back to the why at the very beginning of this. It's an important part of some students' development. And athletic, like you said, uh, athletics is only part of it, whether you're a musician or artist. You know, you've got your interest that you really want to uh, pursue, and we have to continue to offer those opportunities for our students. As you said, we've got more opportunities now than ever before. So 
I, I, I definitely don't think we're going away from athletics necessarily. I think we've got to find a way, a better way though, to find that balance with it. So I, you know, what I, one of the things I love about Tori and, and this happens every year when I see our football players out of the play, like once the sea, the, you know, football season's over and they're, and they're in the spring musical, that's one of the greatest things that can happen to see a student, um, that diverse in their interests, because that's going to make them better long-term. You know, it's, it's, it's the, it's the athlete that's in the school newspaper that is singing in the choir that is, you know, volunteering, you know, at a food bank. It, you know, it, it's more than just padding your resume. Right. Right. Well said. And I think that's a great thing to close on is that athletics is one part of the complex life of our kids and what's best for them is to see it in context and not have it be their entire life because they will be better athletes, better students, better people if they can strike some sort of balance between all those, all of those influences. Well said. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Charlene, thanks so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. This will not be the last time you're on this podcast because there are a lot of uh, dynamic issues with <laughs> athletics, so I'm sure we'll be talking again. Well, I look forward to those conversations. Thanks again for having me. That's all for today's episode. I want to thank my guest, Charlene Falsa-Stevens, for joining me today, and I want to thank you for listening. If you found our conversation thought-provoking and want to know more, I hope you rate and subscribe in whatever app you use for podcasts. But more importantly, I hope you stay curious and keep asking what's best for kids. Thanks for listening.